So, you know, I read this uh, quote recently, and um, I find it to be very, very true. I find it to be very, very true in many, in many aspects. And before I start, I'm going to be talking about discipling the new disciple. For those of you that went to the movement, you heard part of the 12-minute TED Talk version. This is going to be the full version, not, not 12 minutes, that we're going to expand on a little bit. But it's, the quote said this, it's not the will to win that matters. By the way, this is from a football coach, Paul Bear Bryant. So plug in whatever you want, succeed, win, uh, improve, whatever you want to plug in there. It's not the will to win or improve that matters. Everyone has that. Sure. Everywhere I go, when I ask, when I'm teaching a leadership group and I say, who here wants to grow? Everybody raises their hand. I don't care the age, whatever, they, they raise their hand. Everybody wants to grow. Everybody wants to grow. So it's not the will, here's the deal. Here's where the problem comes in. It's the will to prepare to win that matters. The will to prepare. See, we want something, but sometimes we're just, we don't wanna do the work that it takes to get there, to get that goal, to win, to improve or whatever. And that's what makes all the, all the difference really is the follow through, the follow through. So we're gonna be talking about Discipling the new disciple. If there is any most questions that I that I get or we get on the Missions America team, it pertains to how what to do when a guest comes or the follow-up. What do I do? How tell me? Give me some ideas or tools or whatever for making disciples. What do I do from there when they come in when they're baptized <coughs> and so forth? So we know that Jesus commanded his disciples to go into the world and make disciples. We're commanded to make disciples. He also said at one, one point, wish ye not, I must be about my father's business. And so we're in the disciple-making business. We're in the disciple-making business. That's what we're about. Now, the making of a disciple does not stop at the moment of conversion. For years, for years, and I've been in this since mid the mid-70s, 47 years, which, by the way, Brother Batson, I was reading the uh, memorial to your dad in the latest apostolic digest there, and he and I were only about nine weeks apart. I was born in August of 51. I say he was born June 12, 51 there. But anyway, not that it's a big deal, but I just thought it was interesting that we were born the same year there when I noted that. But so I've been in this for 47 years. Yes. And... Um, there, there's this old thinking that, you know, when you win somebody to the Lord and they're baptized, you know, that word win, you know, we associate win with end game. We won the game. It's finished. We win. We won them to the Lord. And so oftentimes in the, in the mid-70s, I know when I came in, there was no discipleship class that I went through. There was no home Bible studies. Right. Home Bible studies, Search for Truth, had been maybe out a year or two at that time. And it really certainly was not widespread or much heard of. And so basically it was the concept that if you fell away, if you, didn't, if you didn't make it back then, there was just this old phrase they would use, well, I guess they didn't get the Holy Ghost that I got. They didn't get the Holy Ghost like I got it. You know, mm. They didn't say, they didn't get it. They sure didn't get it like I got it. And that, that was basically, that was basically, basically it. Yeah. And so we've learned, obviously, we've grown, we've matured as a, as a, a say as an organization I have only been in ALJC 12 years I was in UPC 35 years and um, but I'm saying as a movement our churches and our understanding our knowledge 
our methods have improved drastically over the decades. I've seen the change. Now, my ministry for all that time, for 45 of the 47 years, has been primarily focused on church growth and making disciples. Yeah. That's what I focused on, all my study, all my research, all my skills have gone into that particular area. These are things that I've worked with, that I've, that I've done personally in churches and personally in my personal ministry and so forth that, that I talk about. So we know our salvation experience, water baptism, receiving the Holy Ghost, repentance, is the miracle of a moment, see? That's just the starting point. That's the miracle of the moment. The making of a disciple is a lifelong journey. It's a lifelong journey. I'm still being worked on. You're still being worked on. Hopefully we're still growing and improving in, in our knowledge. The real journey begins after the conversion. And so the question is, so they're baptized, they got the Holy Ghost, they, they just came into the church, maybe they're baptized, they're seeking the Holy Ghost, what do we do now? Now what do we do with them? Now, the math is unyielding in its objective reality when it comes to assimilation. When it comes to assimilation, the math proves in scenario after scenario that guest retention, how many we keep, is 10 to 20 times more significant in terms of church growth than visitor volume, how many we attract. You see, we, we often track, when you, if you look at Facebook, right, and, uh, or even just when, when we're promoting something big, we'll have an event in our church. We'll have a, a, a whatever it may be. It may be a block party or whatever, uh, you know, uh, an evangelistic campaign. And the numbers we always cite are, wow, we had 60 guests come to this block party. Yeah. Right. And so that's the number we want to use. Well, we had six, we attracted 60 people. Or, or another number we use is, we had a week-long revival, which many churches don't do that anymore, but anyway, we had a two-day revival. We had a one-night revival. We had, we had an evangelist for our Sunday night service. Okay. And we had five Five get the Holy Ghost, and that's all. That all sounds good. That's great. Five. We have five baptized. Boy, we have six get the Holy Ghost. Those are the those are the numbers we cite. You're not going to see anybody on Facebook write, "Wow, we we kept track through the year. We had 60 get baptized this year, and and we're looking, and we've only got three that are still here." You're not going to see that number on Facebook. But see, that often is the reality of what is taking place. They're coming in one door. And, and, and out another. So it's not how many we attract, it's yeah. how many we keep. Yeah. And so the question begs, how do we keep more of them? That's yeah. All right. So are we focusing more of our resources on understanding how to retain our, our new converts? Are we focusing resources on that, the retention program? Tom Rayner a great writer, pastors of a very large church, yes. denominal, but he does a lot of statistical work, has a lot of good information when you read his, read his stuff. And so he had, a, he had a, an article here called The Big Four, The Big Four Reasons Why People Stay With the Church, The, the Big Four. And number one, rank first, rank first is this. The church world went for decades of lowered expectations of their members. The result was an exodus of people from the church. 
because basically the what they what they were asking was what the what the what the sentiment was. Why would I want to be part of something that expects nothing of me? Right? We're just see we can get people in the church and we're just oh we're just happy they came. We don't want to ask anything of them. We don't want to chase them off. We're just happy they came. And see that 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 idea does not fly with people in the in the real world, especially in our society today. So number one ranked was what. Uh, that there was some expectation of service. There was some expectation that they were going to grow, they were going to be used, right? The second thing that kept people was small groups. The more the new members connect with longer term members, the greater the opportunity for assimilation. Now I realize some churches may not be large enough to break down into small groups. It just means that somebody needs to be involved in the life of the new disciple outside of the church connecting with them letting them go along when you you minister and so forth or getting together with dinner whatever that translates to in in your world but the, the connection is important making connections we can't just expect their only our only relationship with a new disciple to be just when they come to church Right? We, that, that's not enough. This just simply is not yeah. enough. Yeah. The third thing that is high on the list that keeps people is ministry involvement. The earlier they get involved, the higher the probability of retention. The goal is, as quickly as possible, to get them in the frame of mind that I don't go to that church, but it is my church. Yeah. It's my church because I take part in doing Thus and so, I'm, I'm involved here, I'm expected to be there. There, there is a, a responsibility that I've now taken on. And then the fourth is relationship connection. Relationship connection. The first is not, don't, don't get confused with the small groups. That's, that, that is connecting with longtime members. But personal relationship connection, which, you know, is why I love home Bible study. You know, again, I'm old school. I love long, oh, by the long, the full search for truth. I'm still yeah. stuck on search for truth one. Read them all, looked at them all. I still like search for truth one. Not that the others are bad. There's nothing wrong with them. But I like a full-term Bible study because I like spending as much time with an individual or a couple as I possibly can. If they're inviting me in their home to feed them the word, why would I want to cut it short? Yeah. And I, I find something that is... Very interesting. Again, I'm, I'm, in my mind, I'm, I'm spanning the decades of what I've seen in teaching Bible studies and training teachers to teach Bible studies. And what I'm seeing is that we're losing, we are losing a generation, a generation today that do not see the effectiveness and the importance of getting involved in teaching the long home Bible study. Everybody wants, do you have a short Bible study? And so now we have a proliferation of little short Bible studies, two and three lessons. How quickly can we feed in the doctrine to say that we did the job? And I'm sorry, but that just does not get it done. They may, right. they may, you may run into a, a, a prospect that receives the word that quickly. But even if you use that intro short-term Bible study, they must then get the long-term Bible study. Because what happens in it, People are not coming to your church because they're doctrinally hungry. People are not that spiritually sophisticated. They're coming because they're having 
issues in their life. Something is causing them to stop, to change from the pursuit they've been on to begin to quest, take their quest in spiritual, spiritual matters. And so they want, their, they want relationship. They want to be in a safe place. They want to feel that they're in a, a, an area where they can, they can grow, that it's a safe place. They can, they can build friendships and so forth. So that, that relationship connection is very important. So again, high expectations, getting you involved in a small group, ministry involvement as quickly as possible. When I say ministry, I'm not talking about on the pulpit necessarily. You know, there's nothing wrong with a new person helping out with the serving. Nothing setting up for any, any event, helping out in, in any number of ways that a new person before they're fully qualified for pulpit type ministry or choir or whatever, praise singing, um, uh, there's a lot of other areas they can be involved, even on the front door at a time. Right? So we need to understand the mission, We're talking about making disciples. What do we do after they come in? Understand our mission. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, I use this all, a lot. He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, fivefold ministry we call it. For the here's why: for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Our role, pastors, leaders, our role is to be making disciples, and to make uh, making disciples means bringing them to a place of usefulness in the body of Christ, that they also can reproduce in some way. Now they may not be, all, not all are front line type soul winner reproducers, but everybody can have some role, some part in the making of a disciple throughout that process, somewhere in the church, somewhere in one of the ministries or departments, helping to make that disciple, being aware. Even if it's somebody that is just saying, I don't do Bible studies, but I know some people that want a Bible study Let's have it in my home. I'll be that. I'll be that connection. Or somebody that is saying, "I don't do Bible studies. I don't know anybody right now that wants a Bible study. I'm kind of a shy. I'm kind of a, a shy person. But I will connect with somebody, a new member, and I'll take them out for coffee. I'll have them over for dinner. I'll bring them over for a barbecue. Right. And so there's that extra connection going on. Some way helping to reach and develop that that person to where they're to where they're useful. Um, Easy to get sidetracked, we know that. We can attempt to grow in number only and neglect to ensure that we're making disciples, not just followers. There's a lot of churches that are filled with followers, but they're not disciples. That's good. They're followers. So, so here's, here's the key. We need to provide a clear path toward involvement. Provide a clear path. With too many choices, people choose nothing. We need to be the ones leading and directing them into that next step that they need for their growth. When people see a clear path to being used or involved, they will have a greater tendency to participate. This is one of the values in talking about making disciple or even what to do with a guest when they come. This is one of the values of having some type of a next step program in place. When they come, you can invite them from the pulpit. Hey, thankful for our, our guests today. Well, we want to let all of our guests know, and we already have some involved in it, but we have a connection program. It's a four-week uh, you know, four program. Uh, meet us right after church, and 
We're going to be introducing you to the leadership. Pastor wants to enter, be introduced to you, and we are going to begin to let you know areas that you can be involved, let you know about our ministries and so forth. And any type of a four-step at FAC, we have that initial introductory class where they're just introducing people and kind of giving them a rundown of the campus, right? It's a large campus, so in our instance, we let them know where things are on the campus, who the different leaders are, the departments and so forth, a general introduction, introducing them to small groups, letting them know that the various types of small groups they can get, get, get involved in and so forth. And each one of them has a specific goal of each one of the, one of the four, four steps. The last step is just simply that we're all eating together with the leadership in, uh, in, our, in our coffee shop. It's just we, we give them a meal and uh, you know, getting, getting to know them a little bit more. And by then, they would have begun to sign up for something, discipleship class, a home Bible study, um, uh, or even, uh, we'll talk about it in a second, but there's four types of, of people that we get that come into the church, and I'll discuss that in a minute. But just plugging, in other words, getting them plugged into wherever they need to be plugged in with the ministries that you have available, right? Doing, doing it directly, letting them know right up front, being very, very proactive. Now, as far as guests go, just to step aside here for a second, at FAC, all we do is send out an email to, for a guest. We're not on the phone with them, calling them, we're not visiting them, sending cookies, hanging, putting cookies on the front porch, or any of the stuff like used to be done. We don't, we don't, we're sending a letter, we, we don't do that, or a little postcard, thank you for coming. The, all the cliche stuff from the 70s through 90s, we don't do that. We send an email, it has on there, a, um, of course, a beautiful picture of the, the, our, uh, <clears throat> our, you know, the minister family, the uh, uh, our, our minister family, the, the Hammonds and the, the Ericsons and, the, and the, the Carpenters and so forth, and also a um, a, uh, a a link on there to connect with our church planning uh, uh, software, our app, our church app, so they can stay involved with the be, be aware of the different things we've got coming up if they want to to do that, and and a, and a link to our website. Nice thing, just basically welcoming and thanking them for coming, and that's basically it. That's our contact. Our real connections come in, and I'm probably getting off sidetracked here, but our real connections come in because we're getting, we're greeting that guest, we're getting that guest information, but then we're, it's not just getting the information and sitting them in the auditorium and forgetting about them. The way we get them to go to the connection class is we're talking to them. We've got, we have a whole, what we call a connection team, right? We have greeters. And the greeters get the information, and, and that information is immediately being then through our system emailed to the connection team captain. And the connection team captain is then letting people know the name of the people, where they're sitting in the church. We have six sections, so you're saying like six front, six middle, six rear, whatever, five, whatever. And so, and they're going over then, and they're talking to them, they're communicating with them, and they're letting them know, hey, you'll love our, you'll love our connection. Uh, our, our connection class after this we've got uh, you know coffee and tea and like like <clears throat> like finger food there I'm gonna come and get you guys afterwards all right my name is such and such I'll come and take you there and so we're being proactive about saying hey come with us here not just an announcement at the end saying if you're interested you know we're gonna meet over in the, the pastor over in the you know room three or whatever you know or a meeting in the back of the church. We're, we're, we're trying to usher them there. We have people to, to, to get them there. And so that is, uh, that's where we're doing better connecting with, with our guests. And it's been working very, very well in, in, in doing that. So now, so 
knowing that we need to direct them into where we want them to go, we need to focus all programs around your mission. You identify what your mission is. So all programs should be focused around that mission, your, your, your main mission. What people get involved in becomes their mission. Okay, that becomes their mission. So if you've got a program that is not a part of the mission, they're, they could be super involved and sincere in their ministry, but that ministry might be off mission. Okay. So if we, in other words, if we have a lots of off mission programs like quilt club, quilt club hunting, you know, then it's harder to get people to focus on what we want them to do. Yeah. You know, now they're getting connected and that's fine. That you're answering a part of the equation, right. but the other part is we're developing into a disciple. We don't want to get want them getting sidetracked and just having fun after church with people yeah. outside of church. Oh, a, yeah, right? sure. yeah. People eventually conform to expectations. People ascend or descend to our level of expectation for them. When we don't expect people to do more than attend church, don't be surprised if all they do is attend church. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, all of us know that you know there there are churches there are there are pastors and I'm not, I, you know again I don't know anybody's church here necessarily I know a few a few of you I know a few of you enough to know the type that you are and what you're what you're doing you do not fit in this category and if if you fit in this category then I'm, you know forgive me for scuffing your shoes up this morning but um, I'm just going to say it anyway but there are there are those that are very contented to fill up an auditorium with people that they, they come faithfully and they pay their tithes, man, I'm a happy man. You know, and if that's your end game, then you're going to have a hard time building a good, strong culture, I will tell you, yeah. a good, strong church. Right. If that's all you want, is people to come and just pay their tithes, and you're happy with that, you're going to have a, hard, you're going to have a, a tough road to hoe, as they say. Yeah. So we talk a lot, I talk a lot, FAC, uh, believes in it. Uh, systems and processes. Systems and processes. It, it is vital that we understand the importance of having written systems in place. And I talk about this wherever I go. Written systems. It's, it's beyond job descriptions. It goes beyond job description. Written systems. Then processes tie the systems together. Processes tie the system together. So to tie systems together into a process, obviously, we've got to have a target that we're shooting for. A target that we're shooting, a goal, an end game. Processes point to an end game. And in this instance, we're talking about a fully developed disciple. Full, that's our target, that's our end game. A fully developed disciple. So the first question we need to ask is, or think about, and this is a rhetorical question, what in your mind, what, is somebody lost in here? <laughs> what in your mind is a fully trained disciple? What is a fully trained disciple? Right. Now in my thinking, in my thinking, it is one who becomes a disciple maker in some capacity, as I mentioned. There are those that will reproduce one-on-one -on -one and those who are equipped to aid somewhere in that process. But all along the way, each one of those areas of helps toward making a disciple, they need to have training. People will not just 
on their own for the most part, unless it's a very self-motivated individual with a burden, they will not do these things on their own. They need to be taught and encouraged to do it, right? How it's done, where exactly you fit into the process, the process. So only then, see, once knowing what we want, here's, here's in my mind what my goal is. I'm not just shooting in the dark and, and it's kind of saying when they come in, whatever, however they end up, they end up, we'll, 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 we'll just do this, we'll offer them this. We have a goal in mind. So only then, when we have a goal in mind, can we kind of reverse engineer that and put the necessary steps in place to build that, to build that. So unless we're intentional and have a game plan of disciple making, we cannot wonder why the back door is wide open. I know that one thing that is badly missing in some churches, and this was a staple of disciple making in the early church, and that is spending time with people while ministering in whatever role you are in as a leader. Spending time, having somebody come along, tag along with you, watching what you're doing, be, being with them. Very, 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 very important. It's called modeling. Modeling. The first century church was much more relational than the 21st century church. Much more relational. And so if I were to ask how many people you have in the process of being trained and equipped and further where each one was in that process, I would imagine that not everyone could answer that question. I'm not even sure how many could answer if I were just to ask exactly what your disciple-making process is? Some of you can. I, I understand that. Some of you do. You've got, your, you've got a process down. You know exactly what you're doing. right? But not everybody has that process. So in the big picture, those are really the only numbers that matter, where people are in that process. Five quick growth principles. Five growth principles that we have to believe growth is possible for everyone. Growth is possible for everyone. Number two, people are responsible for their own growth. We cannot make people do what we're trying to lead them to do. They are, there has to be some desire in them to grow and to be a part, obviously. Growth occurs best in community because there is accountability in community. Growth occurs best in community. And here's one of the keys. This is really probably one of the most important things and we're going to be talking about this because tomorrow we're going to be talking about building a right kind of culture. And I want to talk about it a little bit today, introduce <coughs> the idea of why it's important. But cultivating a person's desire for growth is key. We are motivators. Motivators. People, by and large, in this world are not highly motivated. They're just not. In general, I'm talking in general. They're not highly motivated people. And so we need to increase their desire for growth. And our goal, our goal, five growth principles, our goal must be to help people achieve growth. 
growth is possible for everyone. And so our goal, number five, has to be for us to help people achieve growth. Now, momentum, momentum, momentum is a real, tangible entity. Yeah. It can work for us or against us, depending on which way it's moving. Yeah. And we need to do everything we can to create a positive, forward-moving momentum that can be felt yeah. when people come into our, into our services. A very positive, forward-moving motivation. All right, I'm going to delve into a little area here that's going to just kind of introduce why culture is so important. I found this article, it's going to sound off the wall to you, but it's called Tree Planting and Care. Tree Planting and Care. The Dish on Dirt, Why Soil Matters to Tree Health. Why Soil Matters to Tree Health. And, um, you know, Jesus also often used botanical terms in his, in his stories and so forth. So I want to kind of give some botan botanical terminology here. So when I read this, a couple of paragraphs here, when I use the word soil, I want you to think of the word culture. Culture. And when I use the word plant, think of the word disciple. Disciple and culture. Plant, soil. All right. Have you ever planted multiple trees or shrubs at the same time and noticed one variety flourishing while the other had no progress? There are numerous factors that can affect your plant health, one of which is soil. It's easy to overlook soil health when planting. We become so caught up with tree care above ground that we forget what's happening below ground is just as important. Soil health is essential. I'll plug in there. Good culture is essential for plant growth, for disciple growth. Soil guides the species of trees that can thrive in your area. Neglecting proper soil for your tree can be detrimental to a tree's health and cost you your tree. By understanding a few soil basics, you can avoid tree disasters. Why does soil matter? Soil performs five essential functions. Again, think of the word culture. Using the wrong type of soil or unhealthy soil can impede tree health by constricting roots from accessing the nutrients necessary. Soil helps regulate water, filters pollutants, provides physical support, and cycles nutrients. It is also important to dig the hole deep enough for tree roots to grow. Planting in shallow soil, think of the parable of the sower, planting in shallow soil makes tree roots more susceptible to exposure, which can lead to tree stress and even toppling from wind gusts. Kind of mirrors four types of soil. Soils are complex organisms. That's why there is a whole field of study dedicated to soil. Plant growth is directly influenced by soil conditions. Now I'm going to read it, changing the words, just that last sentence. I'm going to read it this way. Cultures are complex organisms. 
That's why there is a whole field of study dedicated to culture. A disciple's growth is directly influenced by cultural conditions. Okay. So culture matters. Our church culture matters. We can have a healthy, thriving culture or a toxic culture or several degrees in between. Now, you see, when it comes to, when it comes to, so, sometimes we, we look for like easy, quick answers. Easy, quick answers. And we can, without really thinking about it, we can be thinking in a very shallow way about these different subjects that we address. See, when we think of, you know, and, I, and I'm asked, I'm asked, what do you do for disciples? How, you know, what, what program, what do, what do you use? You know, what can, I, what can I do and so forth? Those kind of things are easy to answer, and I'll, I'll mention a few in just a, in just a minute here. Those are just one, two, three, step, oh, here, here it is, picture a ball, diamond, you know, first base, second base, third base, home base, you know, any, any kind of a simplistic diagram I can give. But now if we really want to delve into a complete answer of trying to dis, uh, discern what we need to do to make a disciple, we have to look at the complete process, and a lot of retention has to do of where we're trying to plant that disciple. If we've got a messed up culture, your back door is going to be wide open. Because anybody with any sense, see, you, you want, we all want to attract people with some intellect, with some economic abilities, you know. We want to attract the, the right people that we can plug in because leadership, everything rises or falls on leadership. So we want to have a strong leadership team with some with some wisdom, with some background, with some capabilities. Well, to draw those people, they need to come into a healthy, thriving culture. And a smart person can tell whether they are in a culture that they will thrive and grow in or one that they don't want anything to do with because they know it will go nowhere. Right? Everybody with me? So we have to look at both sides of the situation. The disciple we're working with and the psyche and psychology and statistics of the disciple and what makes them want to stay. But we cannot overlook and be ignorant to the cultural environment that we're trying to plant them in. Yeah. So tomorrow I'm going to be talking about knowing and understanding cultures. I've been studying this for the last four or five years and it is key. It is so important having the right culture. We'll talk about that. So obviously if there has been a pattern of poor retention or no, or no growth or very slow growth in a new convert or disciple, we must determine the root cause of the matter. Is the problem with the process or do I have culture issues that need to be worked on? That's what we need to determine. Retaining a new convert long enough to disciple into a functioning, thriving, productive disciple has many aspects to it. There's no magic elixir that produces a disciple. It is not a one, two, three step process. Although there are steps that we should be, that should be incorporated into our process. I mentioned one, a good next step program to start with, to be able to just get them the beginning of their assimilation process, leading them, next step. They have got to be connected with somebody with a good Bible study. We follow that up with a discipleship course. 
We get them connected in small groups. These are just different ideas, making disciples, getting them connected. And then getting them as quickly possible, once we begin to ascertain what their skills and desires are, getting them involved in some kind of ministry training to be able to plug them in, right? For their sake and for the benefit mm -hmm. of, of, the, of, of the church. Now, of course, another factor, and now listen to this, another factor in growing people into functional productive disciples is recognizing who we're working on to begin with so that we can get them plugged into where they need to be in their next step. We need to learn about them a little bit. So here's four main types of people that walk through our door and become disciples or that are needing to be disciples. First, did they just come in through a full Bible study? Well, then you've got somebody that is, has been very well taught probably. They're, 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 they're getting grounded in the word. They're seeing, they're understanding the word. They understand why they were baptized. They understand why they needed the Holy Ghost. And uh, the, you know, they're, they're coming with some knowledge. And so the next thing to plug them into would be a deeper study of the word, a good discipleship course. If you need a good course, we've got a very good course I can share with you. But a good, a good discipleship course would be the next step. And, and obviously, you know, getting them involved in ministry quickly. They've been through a full Bible study. They've, obviously, if you go through a full Bible study, you've already checked off one of the most important points of retention, and that is connection. They've already got a good friend because somebody's been working with them for six to eight, nine months on a, on a full-term Bible study. So they've made a, made, made a friend there. Scripture says he that, uh, okay, I'm sorry. The next one, uh, the full Bible study, the next type of person that comes in, and brother, I'm sure brother, uh, Vasquez is well familiar with this. Did they arrive from an addiction program? Did they come there from an addiction program? Through, through one of your addiction programs. We have an addiction program at FAC, and it's a totally different process for them than the, a person that would come in through a Bible study who is you know, not addicted to something. Third type of person is just a, a first time walk-in. They saw an ad, they saw you online, uh, whatever, an, an invitation. And they're walking through the door for the first time. So you've got that type of person that you're dealing with as far as bringing him through discipleship. And then the fourth type is prodigals. And even determining what that prodigal understands. Were they raised up in the church until, you know, 15 years old and then backslid and now they're in their 30s and they're coming back because they're married and uh, they, want, they want to get their life straightened out? Well, somebody like that would obviously need to be taught from square one. They probably didn't have a very good foundation of the word to start with. But if you've got a guy, maybe he's in his 40s or 50s, was in the church for years, and maybe backslid five years ago because a divorce or a bad situation came and he just lost his footing, that's a different type of person to handle, right? That we're going we're to bring through the process. So we have to analyze exactly what we're dealing with. Who is this new disciple? Where are they in space and time, if you will? Scripture says, he that winneth souls is wise, but certainly the need for wisdom and good people skills doesn't end there, obviously, right? So we need to be ready to meet them where they are and lead them through our process. That's why it's important to have a process. People appreciate and are impacted when they know we care about their development. When they know we care. There's that, old, there's that old statement that's been used and used. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Will everyone we win submit to further discipleship training and growth? Of course not. But it is incumbent upon us 
to help create the atmosphere and expectation in our churches that draw people, even inspire people to want to grow, to want to grow. We will never grow beyond our, as a church now, we will never grow beyond our capacity to meet needs, to meet the needs of people who walk through our door. It's important to understand we grow people. We don't grow church. It's too abstract of a term. We don't grow the church. We grow people. And growing people generate growing churches. Growing churches. God never intended for people to just sit on church pews while watching a few church leaders perform. Leaders who still operate under that outdated model will struggle in today's church yeah. culture. Amen. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to talk about culture tomorrow, uh, analyzing your church culture, go deeply into understanding the points and the things we need to have, the ingredients we need to have a healthy culture and why. But right now, I think I've got a few minutes left. I've got like 10 minutes left on my time here. And uh, I wanted to see if there was any questions about anything I just talked about. Yes, sir, Brother Ramsey. Uh, what would you suggest, how many handoffs would you give a new person that comes in? So uh, they walk in, hey, my name is Brother Ramsey, okay, uh, I'm going to walk you to your Sunday school class. Here's these three teachers, so, so, and so, and then when they walk back into the church, uh, then they're greeted by another person and then another person walking them. Is that just way too many handoffs? Would you streamline it to say maybe one or two tops? Uh, for per visitor that comes yeah I in. mean we can't we can't do overkill you yeah. know working yeah. with working with guests you're talking about now really guests yeah. or the disciples is more of an art than a science you can't say well here's I'm doing one two three you got to read the people a little bit some people are a little bit more standoffish or closed you know and um, and so you know I mean a, a couple anyway you don't want four or five coming by now as they're walking through the congregation obviously we want to teach our people to be friendly oh, yeah. people want to greet them be friendly recognize when a when a guest comes in and at the very least smile and you know say hey good to have you my name yeah. is such and such a quick a quick introduction that impresses people yeah that impresses people a friendly church impresses people but um as far as you're talking sunday school and all that i mean you know as you're you know there are so many variables are they you guys i know have like a special sunday morning deal where you're bringing adults into into that area but when you bring them in you want to introduce them around and somebody then at that point obviously should be engaging them, and I'm sure they do, in some conversation. I know you guys serve coffee and light, light, right. And so that's all good. Those are all great icebreakers, making them feel at home, making them feel safe, or even introducing them if they have children. You might, you might want to, they might want to go with the children of the class to see the class to meet the teacher, and they're meeting yeah. the teacher, right? Making sure the children are then comfortable, then, then going back. So that is a judgment call. Just know that you don't want to, you know, you don't want to make it like overkill where we're like, overplaying our hand. We're, yeah. we're smothering them where they realize, wow, you know, right. Okay, does that make sense? Yep, yeah, absolutely. So yes, sir. For a, a church, like you described before, uh, that's happy with the, the, the faithful members right. paying their tithes, right. and, and we're talking about changing the culture, I'm sure that could seem overwhelming for someone that, that, that wants to do that, that wants to begin and engage in that culture change, where, how can that, how can it, where can you start? Right. Tomorrow we're going to be talking about culture. So there's no sense in me just touching on that, but right. Understood. I'm going to cover all that tomorrow. That'll be answered. Great. Okay. All right.
Any other, anything uh, else? Yes, sir. I know, so for us, we have a Sunday morning, 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock, our classes where we can do our next steps classes. Uh, do you find times of the week best for, do you, a question for you, do you guys have a discipleship uh, class and then a leadership class where you take a smaller group of leaders and you work with just a handful, five or six main guys they continue to train because I know we have a disciple, we have a next step class for a large majority, but then do you guys have another class just for a few young leaders and then what's the day of the week that's best? How does that work? Where do you guys meet with them? Well, I mean, I don't know what the best day of the week is. That would depend on, you know, your people in your area, but absolutely I agree 100%. Once you begin to identify your leaders and even your existing leaders and, and um, uh, uh, department heads and ministry leaders and so forth, they should be having specialized training. The whole point is develop, developing them into effective people. So absolutely, they should be getting books directed to them saying, hey, let's read this this week, this month, let's, let's, we're going to be talking about this, feeding them, feeding them, feeding them. You know, again, people on their own, generally, unless they're self-motivated, are not going to do that. So it's good, and especially in group. I mentioned how it's easier to grow in community when you're doing that together and you have open discussions about the, you know the books, the books you're reading, and so forth. Like I know Brother Joel mentioned to me that he's going over uh, follow to lead, and, uh, and and with his with his with his people, and all that all that is great stuff to feed feed them the different books and and, and work with them. Here, here is, here is in, in, in my opinion, in, in my opinion, we're missing it if we are not as a part of our discipleship training, teaching and training them how to teach home Bible studies. If you want to grow geometrically, that is the way to do it. Giving them a tool that they can use to reach souls, a proven tool to reach lost souls. To just encourage people from the pulpit to, hey, we need more, we need to reach soul, we need to reach the lost, we need to reach the lost, and you picture people sitting out there saying, great, uh, how do I do that? Yeah. You know, what what do I do? What what do I use? Yeah. And you know, it doesn't. It, it's, yeah. it's true. There was a survey. Let me let me finish with this. There were, and I I mention this everywhere I go. There was a survey done years ago. Eight thousand people, eight thousand people. Question was asked, why are you in the church you're in today? Why are you in the church you're in today? And of the 100%, 15% are, were about six or seven different categories that comprise 15%. And within that 15%, there were answers like, I lived across the street or right down the street from the church. Uh, the pastor was really a good preacher. Uh, they had a great over 50s program. They had a wonderful Sunday school. That kind of stuff was why, why they were there. I'll mention this, uh, two tenths, two tenths of 1% out of 8,000, very large poll, said that they were there because of a mass evangelistic campaign. Two tenths of 1% mass evangelistic campaign. And I'll explain why in a second. But the 85% were there because of friend, relative, associate, neighbor. A pre-existing relationship. And that's one of the great benefits of home Bible study because you're working your mission field, teaching people to work their circle of influence, where you go daily, dry cleaner, grocery store, wherever, your friends, your neighbors, they are learning uh, a way to be able to communicate them and once they understand the Bible study, having the confidence to be able to say, hey, I do a Bible study, love to get together with you an hour a week over coffee, Bob, right? And uh, 
no pressure to come to my church. This is not what this is about. I just want you to understand the word. This will give you a good working knowledge of the scriptures. And uh, being, being able to have a lot of people in the church do that, and I've seen this, you will multiply geometrically. It's not just a matter. See, here, here's what we, one of the reasons when you teach about outreach in a church that it gets as silent as it does when you teach holiness and tithing yeah, right. is because people right away clam up, they feel intimidated because they don't like cold calling people, giving a tract to a stranger, say, Jesus, yeah. Jesus loves you, or come to my church, will you come to my church? Um, people bristle at that notion. And the people receiving that invitation, it's called cold turkey evangelism, as the book points out. Cold turkey evangelism. Where, where what we're really called to do is to capitalize on our circle of influence so the invitations are natural because we are intentionally building relationships and friendships with the people in our circle of influence. So when the opportunity arises that they hit a rough spot in life, we offer prayer. We're, we're friends with them. We're offering a word of advice when it's needed or knowing something about their life because of the friendship and we have a special speaker or series of messages in the church, maybe about marriage or whatever, anger management, whatever, that we think would apply to them, that's an easy, soft invite to a service. Oh, yeah. That you're sitting there with your friend. You see what I'm saying? And so it's entirely different if we want to grow our church, how we need to train our people to, 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 to reach people. Cold turkey evangelism is a rough way to go. Now, it's not to say, I talked to somebody recently, it was a former pastor when I was down in Florida last week, that Brother Louis Rodriguez, and he's got a former pastor there from Alabama or somewhere, and um, uh, former UPC pastor, and he told me, he said, we would send out, we would, we would, we would put out 5,000, uh, you know, flyers or something, whatever, and he said, he said, maybe we would get one or two responses out of that. And it, it's so when, 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 you're, when you're trying to generate that much and work that hard for so little, when there are other pools that are much more vibrant and viable to, to receptivity, to receive a word, to receive an invitation. Anyway, I'll end with that. Just a couple of thoughts there. Any, any final questions? We're good? Yes, sir. Time for yes, sir. So this, this might be too large for questions to totally unpack. My, my question is, how long have you been at Maribel? 12 years. Okay. So I would imagine in a large church, the larger the church, the more of a mess potentially in cleaning up old strategies, that kind of stuff. The smaller the church, the easier it is to control. But I wonder, you know, when, when were those things implemented when you got there? Where, where, so number one is, what are some of the challenges throughout right. your involvement right. in that? I think number two would be, um, as going forward, what was there, um, how can I say this? Um, well, just the first one. Yeah, so I came to Maryville when they were up on the hill okay. 12, 12 years ago. And um, Brother Carpenter, you know, quickly, quickly, Put, put me to work there, and I was on staff there, paid staff there for about five years, yep. right? When I came, they had no database. Okay. They had a couple, one or two, maybe two or three, two or three greeters, 
a couple of ushers. They had no discipleship class. Okay. Carpenters were the only one teaching home Bible studies. Maybe Brother Erickson, you know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, they had no systems. Okay. The you know, systems weren't heard of. They had no parking lot attendance. None, none of that stuff was in place. And so when I came, uh, they, you know, I put all those things. I wrote every system for the church for every position and the school. And, and by the way, and when Brother Carpenter became general superintendent for the ALJC, you know, all those, I put those electronic forms in place. Everything we do is on e-forms. All those things were put into place so that when we really got to test them, we moved our first move to the gym, if you recall, the gym. And see, that was the first test ground to really put all these things into place and see how they would, yeah. see, see how they would work out. Because then we began to get even more of an influx of guests. We had more room for growth and so forth. And the flow, the flow was even was even greater. And so, all those things were developed and worked on from from that point. You know, and and you know, it's 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 always it's always been a great church. But that organization and putting structure to it made a huge difference. You're not going to be you're not going to grow beyond the ability of your infrastructure to handle it, right? You just, you're just, you're just not. And so, um, right, so we've got systems, processes, we've got, you know, just everything. Everything there has a system. I, I even discuss e-forms. I don't with a lot of places, but everything we do is on um, electronic forms uh, that are directed <laughs> by email to the people that need to get those forms. We don't use any paper for anything. There's no, there's no paper flow. It's all electronic form flow, and I think uh, probably Brother Joel is familiar familiar with that. And you you recall you know what I'm talking about when I came to FAC, you know. Right. And so um, yeah, we really we really turned it up. And, and without that, now I'll mention this also, since you're asking me about about that personally, not just if this would be any encouragement to anybody. And I hate to keep using personal references, but these are personal experiences. These are personal references. Yeah. My daughter goes to church, UPC church, when I was in South Florida. Uh, she goes to David Timothy Elms Church there. I was at the church that I was raised up in at that time, and I had been there for 20 years plus. And so I was always wondering. I put things in place there, and we grew. We had great revival and so forth. And I had, had always wondered at that time how things, this is when I began to minister outside the, the local church. And so I, I decided I want to see how these things work. In, a, in, a, in another scenario, right? And so my pastor released me to do that. And so we went over to, to that church. Now, they, the, the sweet spot, if you're running somewhere between 100 and 150 right now, in my mind, that is a sweet spot for explosive growth if you get organized right. Explosive growth. So because you've got the physical resources with people and financial resources if obviously people have been listening to your teaching and tithing and so forth and giving. So those two things in place and, and enough people. So I went over there, they were running, and I've got all the numbers and spreadsheets, they were running about, on Sunday morning service, their main service, about 150. We went in there, they, again, same thing, they had no database, they had no discipleship course, they had no process, they had no, now that, at that time there were job descriptions, I hadn't even gotten into systems yet per se. but. Um, putting all the things in place that I'm talking about, teaching a large group of them how to teach a home Bible study. We taught in a home, brought all them together, here's how to teach a home Bible study. Brought them through the Bible study by teaching them the Bible study. Yeah. And so we were able to get a lot of Bible study teachers out of that. But anyway, long story short, I left there four and a half years later, and they were running 350 on Sunday morning. Explosive growth. <coughs> we started doing some, you know, some orderly mailings, we started a bus ministry, and you put the right things in place and get people motivated and excited. But see, that's the key. That is the key. You can teach principles. You cannot 
put motivation in people. You cannot put passion in people. Passion moves people. Passion. So what we, if, when we do these things, you've got to have, you got to have, when I go to a church, you've got to have somebody or a couple of people at least that have some passion that can drive it from there. If it falls on dead ears and it sounds like a good idea and there's nobody to pick, up, pick it up from it. One of the reasons that you know, it works, and I hate to say it this way, is because I was still working in that church there. So I could keep things moving and, and motivating along. Right. But you've got to have somebody. You know, I'm not that unique, right? So you've got to have somebody in the churches that are, that are motivated, and, and, and most of you do, that can, that can pick up on that. You just need a little bit of fine tuning and a, a little bit of a vision tools in your hand, and you can take off of the stuff. It works. It's principles that work. Okay. Amen. Well said. Thank you. So, <laughs>